I have been keeping tab on many of the uh, breaches in in the world for the past five years, and uh, I noticed a very very significant change in the attack patterns. I hope none of the hackers are listening to us. You know, otherwise they'll be targeting me. Security Lab Podcast. I look at all the various uh, attacks that are coming in. From the year 2015, I started keeping tab of the attacks, and I realized that uh, towards the end of 2020 onwards, the attacks have started to shift. All right, and they realized some of these threat actors beginning to realize that they are able to get into uh, many organizations easier if they know uh, what kind of lock the other people are using. It is like breaking into the Abloy system and then knowing how to create a master key and then walking straight into everyone who is using the Abloy lock. You know, and, and, and it is proven in November when uh, people like uh, uh, some of the cybersecurity brands have been breached. Uh, I keep tab. November, there was one, two, three. And then December, there were three. And, you know, and one of the things, are we supposed to mention names here, Doc or uh, Kat? Can we? You could if it's public, go editor. ahead. Yeah, oh, yeah, if it's it's public, then go ahead because we're right. making reference to something public. Okay, so I read about this particular, you know, hack on Acelion, and uh, <laughs> you know, the joke is it actually created a much uh, bigger impact because uh, it went into someone who didn't know that uh, they could be breached and. In the end of the day, we are talking about 1.6 million Washington state residents suing the company for $25,000 each for every member. Multiply that by 1.6 million, you're talking about a 40 billion US dollar suit. I, I don't know who's going, how a company is going to pay for that. All right? And with this kind of attack, you realize that, hey, Many people are using the FTA appliance, all right? Some of the names that have been mentioned ranges from New Zealand to Australia to Canada and, of course, even to Singapore. So, you know, you, you are seeing this type of attack for the last three months. How many more are they going to be? And uh, Chinese, the Chinese have a saying, the doctors normally cannot heal themselves. And this is becoming a real case of, you know, the, the, the vendors themselves or the IT vendor themselves, whether they are security or not, they themselves are becoming like a bridge for all these attacks. I don't know if, if any one of you have any other opinion on this. So it's interesting you 
brought up about Exilion, uh, I wrote about it in an article and I was looking through and you're absolutely right. The number of people who are involved in this attack is amazing. Uh, I wrote about Singtel uh, because they're the closest. They're in Asia. Qualys, a security company, was affected. Yeah. Shell was affected. Yeah. I mean, just, just to name a few, uh, not specifically attributing them, but just to name a few of the vendors who were actually affected. And zooming into this particular issue, there were two things that was uh, quite interesting. The first thing is this platform, the Axilion FTA platform, is 20 years old. And I'm quoting this based on whatever that was deployed in Singtel. The platform was 20 years old. And you're talking about a 20-year-old platform, which was about to go EOL within a few months' time, which means that uh, EOL stands for end of life, uh, which means that the product is no longer going to be developed. There's not going to be any bug fixes. Uh, and in fact, Excellent had already mentioned in their site to say that if you have this product, you should move out of it and start moving into something else uh, that is much more newer and secure. And they have a product that is supposed to help all these organizations and start migrating. And just like any other migrations, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort. Uh, for all you know, you may have to buy new licenses. So not really that straightforward. So a little bit about this product uh, and I and I and I circle back to Singtel as a reference. Uh, Singtel was using this as their file transfer appliance. So what they essentially does is this is the platform that's going to be exposed out to the internet in order for the vendors and their partners to communicate uh, by way of just say sending a file so that they could pick up the file. So it becomes like a drop zone. Uh, or Dropbox, for lack of a better word. So you use a protocol, say, like FTP, file transfer protocol, which is 50 years old as of a few days ago. Uh, you use such a protocol, you transfer the file over to this platform, and then you probably have an internal system that picks this file up based on a certain interval. So essentially what happens is this platform uh, gives you the capability to communicate with other systems or vendors or companies uh, by way of transferring files. It's not really the latest and greatest method. Today, most organizations will use means such as an arrest API, uh, which works through port 443 with SSL, TLS, uh, whereas this particular system would probably be running on, on legacy protocols, maybe like FTP. So the first thing is it's a 20-year-old system, which means it's outdated. The company said they're not going to maintain it, which means any bugs that anyone finds in this system is going to be gold. And, you know, it's surprising that so many companies are actually using this product. So then, you know, one would ask, uh, I mean, if, if you can get an FTP server on an open source, why do you go for a commercial product, right? I mean, it makes sense. I just download Pro FTP, dump it into a Linux box, and boom, I have an FTP server that gives me in and out. Well, it's most likely because large organizations or corporate organizations want to have that support arrangement so that the software gets maintained, 
any patches gets deployed, if they have any issues, you have someone who can help you with the product. So in a nutshell, that's my assessment of what Acilian is. But like what Sky rightfully mentioned is that the impact is so huge that so many vendors and organizations are doing it. Now, the names we know are those who raise their hand and say, yes, uh, I'm affected, I'm using the software, good. What about the vendors who've not used it? Yeah, and 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 I I give it, I mean, I take my hat off to Singtel because the fact that uh, they even came out with a website to provide the updates and uh, provided frequently asked questions. You know, what happened? When did this happen? How did Singtel respond? I am a, a user. How do I do this? Uh, am I affected? I mean, this is the kind of thing that you can uh, use so that you will be able to provide education. Now, the, it brings me to, I mean, let's not just focus on just one particular vendor. Uh, just this morning, I was notified on Pulse Secure. Pulse Secure has a zero-day uh, vulnerability. And when you know that it is a zero-day vulnerability, you're saying that, hey, you know, my windows are open and I'm not going to shut it. I cannot shut it, you know, uh, Come, come in from the window. <laughs> you know? So my, my worry is uh, how many people are using this VPN tool and are we going to see another single attack uh, generating multiple victims? Pardon my silly question, but is this attack similar to something like uh, something like uh, what happened with SolarWinds and all the other impacted organizations? Enjoying the show so far? Subscribe now so that you don't miss out on the latest episode. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. Visit podcast.securitylaw.asia to get the links to subscribe. For Acelion it is, but for Pulse Secure, it is just a vulnerability for now. Uh, we, don't, we haven't really seen the uh, attack on today's uh, notification, but Power Secure has been the uh, subject of attack for a few times already because they provide VPN connection uh, to the to the to the organization. From what was shared, I think there there is a at least a gap in what I can see in terms of the risk function. Because in literature, the threat is often considered in isolation. Um, and also there is a paucity of data that's available for us to look into this and understand the issue. And if you look at the cost, the adversarial cost that is highlighted in the discussion so far, um, I would like to check with the practitioners how can we move forward from here? It has to be a shared responsibility between the vendors and the customers. Uh, the extent of an issue can only be fixed by the vendors themselves. So in this case, we are referring to Exilion. 
um, it's a product that's supposed to be EOL, uh, end of life. Uh, so you, you, you have to get into a situation where the vendors have to give you some sort of support. Some organizations may want to still stick to the platform for whatever reason. Um, example would be Microsoft and Windows XP. There's still a number of uh, devices uh, or embedded platforms that run, say, for example, in Microsoft XP. And, and if you have uh, a platform that has to run on that particular OS, then you're really left with no choice. So it's a shared responsibility. A lot of vendors, what they like to do is they like to practice uh, planned obsolescence which essentially means that uh, at the point of time, they would want to deprecate or they would say that, okay, I'm going to end support for this particular product from this time onwards. So then if there's a security vulnerability, if there's an issue, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I can't help you, but uh, use the use the new version of the software, or please do some sort of migration. So it goes on both ways. Number one, uh, the vendors have to take a little bit more responsibility about the products they produce. The customers need to understand that once you buy a solution, it's not going to be with you forever. You have to look at how long can you use that particular system and eventually start migrating out to newer technology, newer platforms. One simple example is today uh, an application may run on 32-bit operating system. But if you have a hardware failure and you cannot find any more 32-bit motherboard or 32-bit CPUs, then you really don't have a choice. Your application must now be migrated to a 64-bit platform, for example. So hence, uh, managing obsolescence becomes part of managing your technology debt. If you have technology, you have to manage it. And, and at some point of time, there has to be a decision that's made for you to decide what you're going to do, whether you're going to keep that platform or if you're going to move away or you're going to migrate. So in a healthy organization, you cannot retain an outdated platform anymore. You have to start looking at migration. It will be part of you running your business. I agree with you for always, but the issue is, uh, in fact, over the last couple of weeks, I, I was uh, working with a few banks and to my shock and amazement, uh, almost all of them are still using, there are certain uh, percentage of Windows 7 still in the network. And it, it, it surprises me that uh, there was not enough uh, budget to do that or uh, the overall plan to migrate <clears throat> the old systems to the new ones. Uh, I think the, the, the issue will be uh, to get the regulatory body to push for the change. I remember in, uh, I think like four or five years ago, there was a very big push by central bank to have the HSM module encryption change from 128 to 256. Do you remember that, Doc? Yeah, so I guess regulatory can play a role here yeah. to, to get everyone to move forward. Yeah. Can you imagine if there was no regulatory proof, I, I push 
I don't think anyone would even bother to change it. <laughs> I still remember working for a manufacturing company. We had a spectrum analyzer that was running on Windows 3.11. Oh my goodness. And last I checked, it's still running. So, you know, and we've not gone into the part where we looked at special customized appliances, like, for example, uh, healthcare sensors or, or devices, you know, and, and these are embedded platforms. And, and, and it's not like you put in uh, the CD or a thumb drive and you can upgrade the device. So, yeah, probably we should explore more of these kind of things in the future. Uh, and and have some some healthy debates as to how how do we deal with this, because this covers uh, systems like for example operational technology, or industry control systems, which may not have the latest and the greatest, and it's limited because of the kind of hardware that it runs on, the kind of kernel drivers, uh, or device drivers that it requires. Uh, in order for this device to run. So, yeah, very interesting discussion, and, and I don't think we could get it here done. Thanks for joining us this week on Security Lab. Make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show.